If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians this morning, and we're going to be in chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. So we continue in our series that we've entitled for this whole summer uh, that we've entitled Don't Forget This. There are so many times in Scripture where uh, we read, remember this, or don't forsake this, or uh, don't forget this. And during a period of time where we often forget about a lot, right? We forget about routine. We forget about, um, you know, uh, what's going on financially sometimes. We may forget about church sometimes, although I'm proud of a lot of you from Ohio who are here this morning. Way to go. I'm impressed and proud. But often we even forget about what God has done in our lives. And so during a period of time when we naturally have a tendency to forget about things, and especially those things that are important, I thought it would be good for us to be reminded of those things that are so important to God. And anytime you're reading the Bible and you see those words, don't forget this, or remember this, or don't forsake this, pay special attention, because it's something that is very near and dear to the heart of God. We're going to be taking a look at one of those today, and I guess week four of this series, don't forget this, and we'll begin in Ephesians this morning. Let's read together Ephesians, and we're actually going to read through verse uh, 15 this morning, or excuse, uh, only through verse 13, because we're just going to focus on those first three verses. Let's read together. Therefore, remember that at one time, You Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, verse 12, there's a second time we see that word. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Father God, would you be with us this morning? God, may you bless the reading of your word. May you bless this time. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You know, we live in a day and age when uh, you you may come to church or you may hear a a sermon or a message or you may hear uh, some kind of motivational speech and um, all you want to hear is positivity. We live in a day and age where uh, a message uh, that might sound negative uh, is really unacceptable. If it's a message that's not positive, it's really considered something that's wrong or, or bad. Or if it's a message that really doesn't um, uh, you know, kind of resonate with our politically correct society, um, culture says it shouldn't even, even be said or communicated. And I get that. I largely, uh, those of you who know me, I'm a positive uh, pastor. I really try to, to be positive in my messages because God's word is that for sure. But there are some subjects where if you talk about them, just by virtue and by nature of that subject, you, you have to talk about the flip side of the coin, which might be negative. It, it might be something that um, really begins in a way that seems hopeless. And while I'm prone to kind of err on the side of positivity, today is one of those subjects that if you look at it, you have to look at the flip side of the coin. Uh, Hope exists only because of hopelessness, am I right? Hope exists really because hopelessness exists. And so in remembering that you and I have hope in Christ, we really must first be willing to remember the condition of our hopelessness before Christ. 
My prayer leading up to today is, is that those of you who came in here today as doubters or skeptics or wanderers um, or, or maybe even seekers, um, that today you would give your life to Christ and you would find hope in him. And for those of you who are Christ followers who already did that years ago, weeks ago, months ago, days ago, uh, my prayer for you is, is that you would continue to find hope even in the situations that you might find desperation or, or desperate in your lives, that you would find hope in the midst of that hopelessness. G.K. Chesterton once said this, once wrote this. He said, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. It's only when things are hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. And our world says a lot about hope. Our world talks a lot about hope, but the things that the world desires for you and I to put our hope in are fleeting. It's a house of cards. It's, it, it's not going to amount to anything. And in Paul's message to us here, although it may seem strange in the beginning, his message is for all of us to, to put our hope in Christ and maintain our hope in the one who truly gives us hope. And he begins this whole passage, he begins it by talking about this unusual religious practice called circumcision. Somebody asked me the other day, what are you preaching on Sunday? And I said, circumcision, yay, awesome. <laughs> and I'm not going to go into detail about the specific practice. You guys can discuss that at lunch. But, but I want you to equate when we see the word circumcision and when we know what it is, I want you to equate it to any practice that's religious in nature, don't miss this, that causes you to put your hope in that practice itself. Are you with me? Anytime you see that mentioned, especially in the New Testament, you need to equate it with any kind of religious practice that tends to lead us to put it, our faith and our hope in that practice itself. Let's read verse 11 again and find out what Paul says uh, about our hopeless condition. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by, uh, in the flesh by hands. Now, he's writing this, this letter, uh, this book that we have now, to a group of people who are Gentiles. And, and to understand this whole religious practice, you have to understand that there was a huge uh, ethnic, racial, cultural, religious Divide. There was a separation in, the day in, in this day and age. There were those who were the people of God, who were the Jews, and then there was everyone else. So there were the people of God, the Jews, uh, the, the ones that he established his covenant relationship all the way back in the Old Testament, main, um, really kind of defining that in Exodus chapter 12, kind of the highlight, the peak of that, uh, between, between God and his people, the people that were the Jewish people. And so you had the people of God, and then you had everyone else. And the people of God, God established laws and rules with. And as we read the, the first five books of the Bible, especially in Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, you can read those rules, and then you'll read them over and over and over and over again. And those rules were established to, to make a, a, a relationship with a holy, perfect God possible for, for humanity, people who had sin and were full of sin and were, were flawed and, and 
Um, we, we had blemishes and we had guilt and, and we were hopeless in this song that, um, just like the song that Andrea just sang and wrote. And, and so there was this gulf. And so God decided that the way that he would reconcile himself with his people uh, was through several different practices uh, that were law that would really connect the people with God. One of those uh, means uh, is circumcision. And this the whole idea of circumcision means to separate or to cut out or to, to be made holy. And, and so the whole idea was that if you followed the specific religious practice uh, that you were holy. Here's the problem. The problem in the first century and where we read now this book or this letter that was written to um, a group of people who weren't Jewish, they were in Ephesus and uh, mainly uh, Gentiles, is that they didn't practice this specific religious practice that gave people the hope of reconciliation with God. And so as humans are wont to do, what happened? Competition happened. And in the Christian community, a, a, a reconciliation with God that was really exclusive just for the Jewish people, now, because of what Jesus did by dying on the cross, he took away any required adherence to that religious practice or any other religious practice. And all of a sudden, a relationship with God was possible for anyone, anyone who put their faith in Jesus. And so jealousy arose and, and anger arose and maybe even bitterness arose. And all of a sudden, as we are, are kind of like, like led to do as humans because of our sin nature, all of a sudden there was this competition. And there was this one-upmanship about how godly someone was or how godly a group of people were or how spiritual or religious a group of people were. And a lot of that centered around things that were in the law that Jesus came to complete you see, before Jesus, reconciliation to God meant religious requirements, religious rites, or religious practices. And that was the way that God set it up. And if you were Jewish, uh, you, you had it naturally by your culture and ethnicity. If you were Gentile, if you, you weren't Jewish, um, it, it really became something that was a, a huge struggle because you, you had to kind of like um, make this huge leap over all these ethnic and, and maybe even racial boundaries to, to do something that was completely not a part of your culture. And it almost became impossible, even though God was there willing and waiting. And so this idea of circumcision was something that in the first church, there was a lot of debate over and religious requirements for the hope of salvation died with Jesus on the cross, but people had a hard time understanding it. And so you'll see many times that Paul addresses maybe what, uh, what you eat or, or how you live or working or not working on the Sabbath, all of these laws that the Jewish people felt like they and everyone else had to adhere to. And Paul, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, says no longer is religion needed, no longer is some kind of religious practice needed for salvation. And isn't that great news? That's great news. That no longer was some kind of religious practice needed. All we need to do to have a relationship with God, restoration in that relationship and covering of sin was to put our faith in Jesus. And so several times in scripture he addresses some of these religious practices that people were putting their hope in the practice and they no longer needed to. He talks about it in Galatians chapter 5. Let's switch over for a moment to Galatians 5. Um, he says this, for freedom... Christ has set us free. 
He says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. We're going we're gonna to really like nail down that theme next week and not forgetting where we've come from in terms of our freedom that we have in Christ. So we're going to come back to that verse, but he continues, and he says, look, I, Paul, Paul was a Jew of Jews. He was born in the most religious Jewish home. And, and, and he says, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, again, insert any type of religious practice that you would uh, you know, have hope in that practice. He says, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Wow. Wow. It's like shocking. He says, I testify Again, to every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Here's what Paul is saying. If you accept one piece of the law, the Old Testament law, as part of your salvation and putting your hope in that for salvation, then you have to accept the whole thing. And you have to abide by the whole thing. And essentially, what is he saying there? None of us can do that because we all have sin. He said that in Romans testify again to every man who accepts it that he is obligated to keep the whole law verse 4 he says you were severed from Christ you who would be justified by the law you have fallen away from grace for through the spirit he says by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the what what is that next word for the what the hope the hope the hope of righteousness we'll talk about that at the end for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Here's Paul's message often throughout the whole New Testament. It's often this. He often reminds the, the, the people that he was writing the letters to, whether it was a, a letter to the church in Rome or the church in Ephesus or the churches in this area called Galatia, which we just looked at. Um, he was often trying to get them off of, of some kind of like um, self, like um, I guess like self-sufficiency in terms of their hope and, and, and like relying on their, their hope for salvation on some kind of practice or something that could puff them up with pride, he would often, often uh, take them from that and point them to the one who really offers hope, and that's Jesus Christ. You see, he did it all. And often you see Paul just continuing that theme over and over and over again uh, of get the focus off yourself and get it on Jesus because he's the one that offers all hope. Okay, now what in the world does, does, this, does this passage, does Ephesians you know, 5.11 have to do with us today? Um, why in the world, Todd, are you talking about circumcision on you know, June the whatever, 26? Why in the world this morning? Here's why. I want to explain this. I want to explain this. It's because this whole passage gives us the clear indication that our hope is found only in the person of Jesus and the act of him dying on the cross. And sometimes you and I forget that, don't we? We forget it. Now, we may not forget it in that, like, you know, we, we have this, like, you know, strict religious thing that we abide by, but even Christians in today's day and age have a tendency to put their um, hope or their faith in something that they have done that's spiritual in nature that they've done personally. And, and, and 
that just is prevalent in Christianity today. You have people that maybe put their hope in church attendance or how much money they gave or how many Bible verses they can memorize or how much they know about the Bible, how educated they are about Scripture. And then you may have some people that put their hope in spiritual practices like baptism and, and um, communion and um, you know, attending a, a Bible study or a prayer meeting or a worship service. Now, everything that I just mentioned, all of those things, are they good or bad in terms of our spiritual walk? They're all good. Absolutely. I'm glad to hear you say good and not bad. That's awesome. They are good, and we practice every single one of them here. But I got to tell you that hope is not found in any of those things alone, and you need to hear that this morning. Hope for salvation is not found in any of those practices alone. And if we think that our church attendance or how much money we give or how many times we pray during the day or what we say in our prayer during the day is going to save us, then essentially what we've become is self-reliant Christians. And we've forgotten the one who provides salvation. You and I have this tendency to um, equate some kind of practice um, with hope. And in short, our hope coming from Christ means that religious practices alone cannot save us. Religious practices alone cannot save us. In fact, religious practices are meant to spur us on to have more hope in Christ. Isn't that ironic? That's what Paul is trying to tell us. So stop, some of you who are here today, and you're grasping at some kind of religious practice. Stop doing those things for the purpose of thinking that somehow you're better spiritually than someone else. Stop wearing it as a badge of honor that you think that you um, maybe have an edge. Listen, we as Christ followers, we have one edge, and that is, is that we find our salvation in Jesus alone. We don't have anything up on anyone else other than that fact, and that is the most important thing because he provides forgiveness of sin, and he provides eternity in heaven with God. We can do nothing of ourselves. Paul, Paul himself said, I am nothing. I am nothing without Christ. In fact, let's check it out. Check it out. Go to verse 12 and, and, and 13. Um, he, come back to our kind of our main text there. He says this in verse 12. He says, remember that you were at that time separated. I want you to say that word with me. Separated from Christ. And say that next word with me. Alienated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Wow, what a great positive message. Isn't that awesome? I love it. Paul is saying here that because of our sin that we were separated from Christ. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise. He essentially says that we were separated and alienated and strangers, that we were far from God, that we were far from him. And what is it that um, excludes us from God in the first place? It's our sin. It's our sin. And here's where the gospel message, here's where the, the good news message comes in, is the fact that we, even we who live in this day and age, were excluded from God because of our sin, except 
that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. And the Bible clearly says if we put our faith in him alone for salvation, that we will have forgiveness of sin and we will have eternity in heaven with God one day. Through Jesus alone. Alone. That's it. Alone. Nothing else needed. No other no other spiritual practice or rite or ritual at all needed. In him alone we can find our hope. You see, our hopelessness is rooted in the spiritual separation and alienation from being included and accepted by God. Sin is the source that causes that separation. At the moment that God created Adam and Eve, look, I think about this often. Like there's a couple hundred people in this room right here right now. Um, there were not a couple hundred people um, in the Garden of Eden, in, in the original story, in the, in the creation story back in Genesis, in the original book. There were two. There were two people. The odds of like, you know, 200 sinning and failing God in the Garden of Eden, pretty high, right? That one of us would do it. It'd probably be the guy standing right here, okay? So like there's pretty good odds. But there were two, Adam and Eve, only two. And they, they messed it up, didn't they? Just two people. And so from that time forward, from that time forward, there was this separation, this gap that existed between us and between God. And Christ, um, his death on the cross and his resurre resurrection from the dead eliminates any of the results of that alienation, of that separation and that isolation that exists between us and God. But I want you to remember that it all began. It all began with hopelessness. Have you ever um, been in a place, I'm sure that you have, uh, where you have felt uh, left out? <laughs> um, I, I felt left out pretty much all through high school. <laughs> Any of you with me on that? Yeah, all through high school. I was not a part of the cool kids. I know you're shocked by that, but I was not a part of like the cool group of high school kids. They respected me, but my, my buddies were, were nerds. Okay, it's just like, just be honest. All right. And I was fine with that. I was totally fine with that. But there were times when I felt left out. Is anyone else with me on that? Like at any time in your life, you felt left out? Am I the only one that felt left out? Kind of feeling left out right now. Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Thanks, Chris. That's the feeling that we have. That's the condition that we have before Jesus. It's feeling like we're on the outside. And everyone else is on the inside. That's the condition that we are in. And I got to tell you, the reason that we feel that way is because without faith in Jesus, that's true. Without faith in Jesus, it's true. It's true. We're on the outside looking in. And there's nothing that I can do that's good enough to overcome my sin or to make up for the sin that I've done, or to cover the sin that I've done. Jesus' death on the cross covered all of it, paid everything. And Paul, in telling us to remember the hopeless condition that we were in, wants us to remember what Jesus did by providing hope. Our hopeless situation is absolutely rooted in this whole idea that you and I are sinful. 
the separation, that alienation, that isolation that exists between us and God can only be found in us finding hope in Jesus Christ. It's the only place that it can ever, ever be found. I, I, I love verse 13. Check out verse 13 here as, as we continue in, in uh, Paul's writing here. He says, but now, but now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once, say those next two words with me, far off, have been, say those next two words with me, brought near, brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. I love the, the picture that Paul is painting here. He begins by saying at one time, verse 11, at one time, at one time, you were hopeless. At one time, you had no hope for reconciliation with God, never mind forgiveness of sin, never mind eternity in heaven with God one day. At one time, we were lost. At one time, we were um, just surrounded in doubt and, and guilt and in shame like Andrea's song, uh, the words to her song. But he says in verse 13, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, we have the hope of heaven. But now in Christ Jesus, we have the hope of heaven. Why in the world is this so important? Two reasons, two reasons. Number one, for those of you who are here today and, and you've never put your hope for eternity in Jesus Christ, you don't have to live with doubt. You don't have to live with sin and, and shame and guilt. You don't have to live um, wondering what's going to happen when you die. You no longer have to live that way. And here's the best part. There's nothing that you have to do to receive the hope that God gives. All you have to do is put your faith for eternity in the hands of Jesus, God's son. Sometimes faith seems like it's a mile away. It may seem like it's far off, as Paul talked about. But sometimes faith is just one step away. And for some of you, maybe you've really been struggling. Maybe you've really been skeptical and wondering. My prayer for you today is that you would find hope out of the hopeless situation that you're in and realize that without your hopelessness, without your mess like I have a mess, God can't do his amazing work. Your hopelessness makes the story amazing. My prayer is that you would come to know Jesus today, that you would put your hope for eternity in him. The second application this morning is for those of you who are Christ followers and maybe you've been for years, um, and this was new at one time, and it was fresh at one time, and it was exciting at one time, and at one time you were hopeful because you had just put your faith in him, and everything was new, and it looked good, and you were excited, and you couldn't wait to talk about it. You couldn't wait to read it. You couldn't wait to, to have time with God, and you couldn't wait till we as a church got together so you could worship him and over time what's happened is maybe just the the stuff of life has caused a little bit of that to wear off maybe you're here today and for days or weeks or months or maybe years or decades um, you've been a Christian that really looks hopeless 
And you're a Christ follower who has a hope of eternity, but you've begun in the mess of life, in the circumstances of life, to begin to put your hope in other things. My prayer for you right now is, is that you would not forget the hope that you have in Jesus and that you would begin to return to that. Not for some kind of behavioral change, but to have an abundance and a newness and an active spiritual life. We love the people around you in a remarkable way so much that they're drawn to Jesus because of you. I was at a conference early in this week, uh, little pastors, uh, we got together up in Charleston, and um, the pastor of uh, Seacoast Church, Greg Surratt, said, you know, uh, when it comes to knowing and understanding God's word, um, there's a lot about that that leads to spiritual growth. But he said the most mature thing that Christians can do is to love others. And that's so true, isn't it? Maybe today you find yourself in a position of feeling hopeless because of the circumstances of your life. And my challenge and my encouragement and my invitation to you is going to be to remember the hope that you have in Jesus and return to that. He's waiting with open arms for you to return to him and to remember the hope that you have in him. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I thank you so much for these words of Paul inspired by your Holy Spirit to remind us that ultimate hope, eternal hope, hope for the forgiveness of sin and for eternity in heaven with you is found in the person of Jesus and in him alone. God, I thank you so much that you prepared a way. And God, I thank you so much that the way to heaven does not include a religious practice, but it includes a personal relationship with your son who died on the cross, who carried our sins with him on that tree, who bore the weight of the world so that we, through faith in you alone, can have eternity with you in heaven. God, I thank you so much for that. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus alone for your salvation. I'm going to give you the opportunity right now to do just that. If you're here and maybe something that was said or sung or something you saw on the screens has prompted you to go, yeah, I, I know it seems like it's a mile away, like it's 10 miles away. But man, I've been struggling with this for way too long and all I need to do is take that one step. God says if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's through your faith, not through your works, not through religious practice that you right now can accept the hope that you can have for eternity in Jesus. If you're here today and you've never done that and God is leading you right now in this moment to say yes to him, I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. You can pray it just in your heart to God. You don't even have to use my words. There's nothing magical or special about the words. You know what it really is? It's about your heart. If you're here today and you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, I'm just going to ask you to pray this prayer silently to God. God, thanks for loving me. Thank you for making me. And thank you for sending Jesus, your Son, to die on the cross 
for my sins. And today I recognize how hopeless my situation is. And today, right now, I put my faith in you, Jesus, for eternity. If you're here this morning, every head bowed and every eye closed, and you um, prayed that prayer along with me this morning, would you be so bold as to raise your hand and keep it up for a moment? I won't embarrass you. I would just want to pray for you. If you would raise your hand. Awesome. Awesome. Anyone else this morning? Raise your hand. so excited for those of you who raised your hand this morning because you have the hope for eternity oh man God I just pray for those who raised their hand in this place God I pray that you would just anchor them to you and to your word and to a church God that is speaking the truth and love God I pray for them right now that you would just anchor them to you and that they would have an abundant life right now, I want to pray for those of you who are already Christ followers, but um, your hope has kind of turned into despair. You've allowed the circumstances of life, like we all probably have at different times in our life, to overwhelm us. And and we've kind of left our first love. We've just let it slide. Um, I just want to pray for you right now. If you're in the place of just trying to find hope in something other than Jesus and you're already a Christ follower, I just want to pray for you for a moment. God, I pray for those who are in this room. God, maybe their faith has become lukewarm. Maybe they've found their hope in something or someone else, some other philosophy or value or religion. God, I pray that you would help them to turn back to you and to find their hope in you. God, I pray that you would bring hope in the midst of despair. God, that you would bring joy in the midst of sorrow. God, that you would provide healing in the midst of sickness for those who are in here, God, who may find themselves hopeless. And God, we just give you all the glory and all the honor. You're such an amazing, good God. And we just give you praise this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.